Hello and welcome to Woman Self Made podcast with me, Marina Bennett. Today I am delighted and honored to have amazing Sharon Lecter with me on the podcast. Sharon is a co founder of the Rich Dad Poor Dad Company with Robert Kiyosaki. She had advised two US presidents and wrote 23 best selling books. Sharon is an international speaker, mentor, philanthropist, and is one of the top experts in the world for financial literacy and entrepreneurial success. Please welcome Sharon Lecter. Sharon, hello. So wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm delightful. Thank you so much, Marina. Delighted to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. And if I may start, I'd like to start uh, from the very beginning, how your wonderful and amazing journey started. So you come from entrepreneurial family, but it wasn't immediately that you went entrepreneurial route. Why is that? So in your early childhood and then afterwards, why did you decide to do what you what you did? Why did you want to become an accountant and not entrepreneur? I came from a very lower middle class home. My, neither one of my parents had high school diplomas yet. They were both entrepreneurial. My, we lived in a little tiny house between my mom's beauty shop and my dad's used car lot. We owned rental properties that I had to go scrub out bathrooms between tenants and we owned orange groves. So we grew. I grew up listening to conversations about assets, cash flow, appreciation. Had no idea that that was not what was happening at every, every dinner table. But my, my friends, their parents were CEOs or military officers and so I was embarrassed by where we lived, had no idea that this was building a foundation that would help, you know, pass them up very quickly. But I, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to do all that crazy stuff that my dad had to do. I wanted to become a sophisticated professional. So I, I was first generation to go to college, only woman in my accounting classes, but I got my accounting degree and started working in public accounting, one of the very first women hired. Um, so I was young, single, Atlanta, having a great time. And then when I was about 25, I started realizing that I wasn't in control of my life. And all of a sudden, my parents started looking a whole lot smarter because by then the assets were generating revenue and my parents, you know, their financial situation was much stronger. And I got a phone call from a friend, uh, one of my clients, inviting me to go um, with him to a company he was buying out of bankruptcy. I went back to my condo and did the old pros and cons because this was before PCs, before cell phones. And I, it didn't help me a bit. I could argue both both sides because I was very successful in my career. And yet I had this opportunity to go and piece of the, go own a piece of the company. And my hand kind of took off across the top of the page and said, why not? Why not do something different? Why not take a path less traveled? And that is still my personal mantra today. And I think it really is the essence of every entrepreneur. Why not solve a problem, serve a need? Why not do something that somebody else has never done? And so I made the decision to leave public accounting, never looked back. But when I got there, it was a huge mistake. There was all kinds of corruption in the company that we were buying. And um, I really thought, oh, gosh, I need to, I need to leave. But 
that company had been in some litigation. And that's when I met Michael Lecter. So as Napoleon Hill says, out of every adversity comes a seed of an equal or greater benefit. So my worst business decision provided me my best life decision because we've been together for 43 years. And um, so I tell people, sometimes you just have to figure out what the benefit is. Maybe it takes a while to figure that out. But that's really where I got from growing up entrepreneurial into a professional capacity and then realizing that entrepreneurship is really where I wanted to be. And I've been there ever since. Was it a smooth journey or was that ups and downs? Well, it certainly wasn't a smooth journey because um, I got up there and realized that there was all kinds of corruption. So I was terrified. Of, and I moved on totally on my own, didn't know a soul from Atlanta to New Hampshire. And so, yeah, it was a very, it was a very stressful time. And I think my life, you know, I'm 69. So I've had a lot of turning points in my life. And um, I think sometimes you have to close doors for other doors to open. And you just, you know, for me, it's always, why not? If I'm mad about something, well, let's start a new company. Let's do something about it. So taking action to add value. My dad would ask me every night, have you added value to someone's life today? And so I still ask myself that. Mm -hmm. um, you have spent quite a number of years with uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad writing the books, and it's it started with uh, uh, with the game, not the books. I don't know. How did that come about? Well, I started the talking children's book industry and grew that and sold it in, in the fourth year of that and moved here to Arizona in 1991. Our oldest son went off to college in September of 92. And came home at Christmas time in, in credit card debt. We didn't even know he had credit cards. He got to college and there were tables, free pizza, free money, mm -hmm. free t-shirt, free money. So he had a really good time his first semester in college, but then he had to pay the piper. And that was December of 92. I was really upset with him, but more upset with myself. And that was really December of 92 is when I dedicated the rest of my career to financial literacy and financial education, started working with school systems. And fast forward a few years, 1996, I had a phone call from my husband, who is a well-respected international um, intellectual property attorney. And, and this guy had come into his office with an idea for a board game drawn out on butcher block paper with his flip-flops and his Bermuda shorts. And it was Robert Kiyosaki. And so Mike called me and you know, introduced us because his game was something that was very consistent with what I was teaching. And with my background in the talking book industry, we also had games. I had the connections and the opportunity to help him get it commercialized. So we started working together. Just I just volunteered to help him as a friend. And he told me he was going to charge $200 for the game. And I said, that's pretty pricey. We're talking 1996. Mm -hmm. I said, maybe you should write a brochure to explain your philosophy that will convince people they want to invest that kind of money into a game. And that's when he asked me to be his partner. And that brochure we wrote together was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So most people don't realize that we never expected to take on a life of its own. And then we never expected to write another book. But after Rich Dad, Poor Dad, we ended up, well, we'll do a trilogy. So we did Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, and Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. And then, oh, no, people wanted more. So over our 10-year working relationships, we wrote 15 books together. 
And that was, it was launched in 97. So 26 years ago in April was the original um, publication of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it had obviously a tremendous success all over the world. Um, you did say that you did not expect it, but uh, it's, uh, did it just happen overnight? Or after a while, you started to realize, okay, this is becoming really big. And then you you put an effort to grow it um, as, as a business. Uh, because uh, such uh, how such massive massive success could you give a bit of an inside view, but also maybe some tips. So it's it was a fantastic product, uh, but then also what role did you play to grow it to the size it became? Well, all of my success at all the various companies. I started a woman's magazine. I grew the Talking Children's book, then Rich Dad, and then my work with the Napoleon Hill Foundation it's all related to the power of association and who you have on your team and who you bring in with the talking book industry. We had this technology, but this was a time when kids did not have technology. They didn't have screens, hard to believe dinosaur days. But so we, we said, well, how can we get parents to trust us? And that's how we aligned with Disney Warner brothers, Sesame street, because they trusted those brands. And I, when we when we sold that company, I said, you know, we wrote pretty big checks to them for licensing their their brands. So the next time I build a company, I want to build a company that other people want to pay us to use our brand. And that's what I did with Rich Dad. Um, we established it. We our first three years, we were publishing our products through the, my company with my husband and I own a company publishing company. And we earned the right. We got to the all the bestseller list. And then all of a sudden, the big companies, the big guys started coming to us. So they paid us to work with us. And when I needed to have an infomercial company, um, Time Life, I said, I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have the top of the top. And so Time Life paid us to, and they created the an award-winning um, infomercial. It was top of his class for a couple of years. Same thing with coaching. When we wanted to go into coaching, I found the best coaching company and we use their systems. My husband wrote the book, Other People's Money and Protecting Your Number One Asset About Intellectual Property. And so we use their money, their people, their resources. And I and that's really how I like to operate because that me talking to CEO to CEO and he or she had to work with the employees and so it allowed us to grow exponentially quickly. It allowed us to grow around the world. We had over 50 publishers that we worked with, and our, our books were in over 110 countries and over 50 languages. And that was because they, each of those companies, would take it, translate it, and distribute it to their audiences. And that allowed us to grow exponentially quickly because you know our success was before Amazon, before the internet. And it was because people were telling other people about, you know, people still to every day come up to me and talk about the impact Rich Dad had on their lives. And I I will ask them, how'd you hear about it? And it's usually a friend, a father, a sister, a mother. And I just love that because it truly is, it impacted people in a very strong way. And we ended up building the largest personal finance brand in the world. And when I made the decision to leave, I had the incredible honor to be asked to step into the world's largest personal development brand, the Napoleon Hill Foundation. So 
you know, I just had an incredibly grateful um, career in having opportunities to help inspire and help people find their highest and greatest potential. Was it difficult to live, reach that poor dad when it was at such level of success? Or did you feel it is time? Well, I knew it was important information, obviously, because um, through public accounting and working with all the companies, I realized what a unique gift I had and the knowledge that I had related to not exchanging time for money, but to buy, build and create income producing assets. And the fact that the rich don't work for money, they build assets. That message, 99.9% of the world's population didn't understand. They were taught to be employees to get a job. And so I knew it was really important for our message to get out. And it really was, um, you know, I think it was hugely successful because it gave people a fresh perspective about money. And certainly the name Rich Dad, Poor Dad, immediately you go, I had a poor dad or I had a rich dad. So you completely immediately engage with your audience and that helped as well. So, And then Napoleon Hill Foundation, uh, you wrote a number of books uh, there as well. And I would like to talk about the women edition, if I, if I can call that Think and Grow Rich for Women. Uh, why did you think that such edition was necessary? Uh, why women needed an interpretation for them? Well, I read Think and Grow Rich when I was 19, and it's a fantastic book, and I recommend everybody read it. But it was written back in the early 1900s when women were not in business. It was released in 1937. And um, it was a time when it was very male-centric. It was written very male-centric. And it got to the point in my career, I never really sought to do anything specifically for women. But I started getting frustrated with all the women complaining and criticizing about the men in their lives that held them back. What do you do when you complain and criticize? You attract negativity. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to get out there and say, stop it, ladies. You know, let's instead of complaining and criticizing about all the men in our life, let's celebrate the progress we've made. Is there more progress to be made? Yes. But let's celebrate the progress we have made and let's celebrate the men that have helped us along the way. Because when you are in a state of celebration, what do you attract? Positivity. And so that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because the steps to success were the same for men and women. We just approach them very differently. And it was, and women tend to look at success not so much as money in the bank, but as impact, significance. And so I really wanted to have, provide a tool that women could relate to other women. And so I look at every, the chapter outline is the same as it was in the original book. But each of those principles, I outline the principle, I share about how I've used that principle in my career, and then I have successful women share how those principles help them succeed. There are over 300 women that I um, highlight in the book. And so the reader will see, write, read one story, and it doesn't apply to her. But the next one is like, oh, wow, that's me. Or if she can do this, I can do it. And so it was not to say things are different for men and women. It's just that we have a different way of reacting. We have a different way of applying those steps. And uh, just, it was an incredibly you know, wonderful project to do. And I'm very proud of it. 
So the steps originally outlined by Napoleon Hill are the same. It's just application and the, the way we go about them are different. Is that right? Yes, um, absolutely. And certainly that was the third book I would, did with Asia. The first one was The Three Feet from Gold. Mm-hmm. And that was written during 2008, released in 2009, during the time when a lot of businesses were going under. And so we wanted to highlight those businesses that persevered. And, you know, Three Feet from Gold is a story out of the original Think and Grow Rich book about somebody who just did not persevere when they went out west to mine for gold, and they literally stopped three feet from gold. And so many people do that today. They give up. They don't persevere. And they don't realize that being the ups and downs are all part of of creating success. Um, And success is not a straight line. And so in Three Feet from Gold, I release the personal success equation, which is something that I use in every interview, every speech, every every time I talk, I talk about it because it really encapsulates everyone. The first part of it is P plus T, passion plus talent. And that's all about you. That's your, you know, passion can be something you love. Passion can be something that makes you mad. For me, I was mad that we weren't teaching kids about money in school. My talent was 35 years as a CPA, 30 plus years in publishing. And so most of us stop there thinking we have to do it on our own all by ourselves. But true success comes from times A, power of association. Do you have the right people on your team? Do you have people who are strong where you're weak? Right? Do you have a mentor that can help accelerate your success? And then times A, take action. How many times do we know what we're supposed to do we just don't do it. And so, you know, we have to take action. We have to continue moving and have momentum in what we're doing. So that's passion plus talent times association times action. And then all of it together, you have to have faith, courage, faith that you will succeed, faith that is needed and necessary, and faith in yourself. And when I, I do high-level mentoring, and I take them through that formula, and I go, you know, usually it's the power of association. They've, they've grown and then they've plateaued because they've stopped expanding their associations, stopped going and making new connections, or and their self-confidence has lagged. And they go hand in hand. When you have the right mentor, you have the right people on your team and you have a bad day, they won't let you stay there. And so I, I have an ebook at personalsuccessequation.com. It's free but it will walk you through your own personal success equation and maybe highlight one or two things that you can do right away to elevate your success and to place you in the in the level of highest and greatest potential. Uh, this, yeah, this is, this is beautiful. Passion plus talent times association, massive action, and you need to believe in, in yourself. That's, that's, that's beautiful. And, um, I can see a correlation to the later book that you wrote and uh, where you were talking about six P's and uh, that that was Exit exit Rich book. Yeah, and uh, again, so that is, uh, I find, slightly different variation of that success, but a pretty similar component. So it's uh, it's people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, Exit Rich is a, was a book, my most recent book, and it was done in conjunction with Inc. Magazine. And it really is 
most people out there that are selling things or online, you know, they're talking about helping you build your business. They don't really start with the fundamentals in mind. And a lot of people get their business to the point where they're successful. And then they realize they really own a job, not a business, and they can't sell it because they have not built it correctly. So I want people to have the information they needed to build the foundation of their business so that not only do you build a successful business, but you build one that's sustainable and scalable. And if you have a scalable business, which means you have the right systems in place, you have the right people in the seats, then you have a business that you can sell. And that's, you know, 85% of businesses that try to sell will never sell because they are not structured properly. And so it's really important to make sure you have the right legal agreements, the, the right corporate structure, and then make sure you have the right systems, the right intellectual property protected. You want to identify your intellectual property. You want to protect it and leverage it. And then, of course, have your database. One of the biggest problems in today's world is business owners get all excited about their social media presence. You know, X number of followers here and there, but you don't own those names. Those are great lead generation tools, and you definitely want to be out there in social but you want to nurture people and bring them home, bring them to your database, because that means they're your asset and they add value to your business. So get them out of social, bring them home so that you have the ability to reach out to them directly. Do you think uh, a lot of that is applicable to the to the business owners and how to to build a successful and scalable uh, business? But not everybody can be entrepreneur. Or do you think with the right uh, advice, with the right mentorship, with the with the right people around you, everybody can succeed? Or is it uh, is it just for some for some people only? Well, a truly successful entrepreneur, I believe, is a, a combination of the spiritual mindset of the why not, let's go solve a problem and serve a need, with the understanding that they need to have someone on their team that does the day-to-day follow-through and accountability to build the systems and to build the foundation. You need to have both. Not every entrepreneur becomes a good business owner but they usually are the spark and the drive to get it going and to you know drive it with the energy but they need to have the right people there that that are happy to run the day to day and so to answer your question not everyone wants the risk associated with entrepreneurship you know the world needs employees so there's nothing wrong with being an employee. It's not what you do for your paycheck that determines your financial success. You're being paid to make your boss rich. So your financial success is based on what you do with your paycheck. So it's not what you do for your paycheck. It's what you do with your paycheck. So you can be an employee, but you can still become rich because you take your income, your salary, and you reinvest it in income-producing assets. So your personal balance sheet is your business. You're still an entrepreneur for yourself. You want to build a a foundation of financial strength that can also become generational wealth. Could you please give three tips of how to start building that path to financial freedom? If somebody haven't read any of the books, uh, they, they're just in, in their job, but they do want to move in that direction. How do they start? What should they do? Okay, the first step 
I have a money mastery course on through my website, but the first step is to figure out where you are. A lot of people ignore their financial situation. They put their head in the sand. And so you don't, you can't know how to get better if you don't know where you are. Even if the picture is bleak, you will feel empowered because you've taken a step. You've done something. So the first step is to figure out where you are and then analyze how you're spending your money. You want to expand your means through new revenue sources, but you also want to live below your means and see where you can save money so that it accelerates your ability to grow your wealth. So pay attention to where you're spending money, compare it to what's average and where you live, and then really dive down deep on your debt. Is it good debt, which is like a mortgage on a rental property where your tenant pays you $1,000, it costs you 500. So you have a net cash flow of 500, that's good debt. Mm -hmm. Or is it bad debt? And that bad debt pulls you down. It's like putting weights on your legs. And so you really want to work towards getting rid of the bad debt. So if you focus on living expenses, you focus on getting rid of bad debt, and then you focus on ways that you can create new revenue streams. Um, a personal advisor is going to tell you to um, you know, go basically diversify against paper assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. I teach people diversification, but across asset categories, have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, have businesses that you invest in and have real estate, right? And intellectual property, what you know can create, you can create an asset, write a book, create a program. And so if you are diversified across asset categories, then when we are experiencing what we're experiencing in the last 12 months, you're better able to survive a depression, recession, or you know, a pushback. Thank you. That's very helpful. I hope people were taking uh, were taking notes. I would like to probe a little bit on the quote that you mentioned uh, a few times in the Think and Grow Reach uh, for women um, is the concept of work-life balance and that it's not really a thing and it's actually a trap uh, what can you explain what you mean because for some people uh, this is actually a goal to achieve that work-life balance but you you don't seem to agree with that work-life balance i believe is a myth um, we are never balanced maybe in the yoga studio but you are always moving forward back or sideways and that's one of the that's actually the second reason I wrote Thinking Courage for Women, because I added a 15th chapter in the book that's not in the original Thinking Courage book because of women. And it is the title of the chapter is called One Big Life. We all have faith. We have um, our financial life, our fitness life, our family, our friends, our fun. Um, our field, our business. So we have all aspects of our life and you, 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 you want to have it all. So you have to pay attention to each aspect and say, what do, where am I weakest? And then focus on that area, but don't think about work-life balance because, you know, we're constantly moving. And if you are an entrepreneur, involve your children, give them the opportunity to learn from a young age and don't, I mean, the problem with work-life balance, is it just makes women feel guilty, it makes them feel like they haven't achieved the success they deserve because they've been spending too much time with the kids. 
And then all of a sudden they're at the office and they're, they're feeling bad because at their office, they're not with their kids. It's just crazy. Give yourself a break and know that you have an opportunity to focus on all aspects of your life and grow. So can women have it all? Yes. You know, the issue is um, too many of us have the stinking thinking, the bad mindset. You want something because somebody else has it. Mm -hmm. um, you're not, you don't think you're thin enough. You don't think you're young enough. You don't think, you know, you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. That's when you can't have it all. Get rid of the, the scarcity mindset and realize that you were created to be perfectly you. You are perfect just the way you are. Maybe you need to be a little healthier, so you need to work on that. Maybe you can be a little stronger financially, and you can work on that. But know that you have God-given talent. You have been put on this earth, and you are perfect. Don't start comparing yourself to someone else, and don't look pat, particularly women. We tend to um, carry our old failures like an old sack of potatoes over our back. Um, you know, if you had a failure, that's okay. It was an occurrence. It's not a definition. It doesn't define who you are. Each and every one of us is where we are today because of the choices we made before today. So if you want something different, something better, something new, simply start making different choices today. Don't try to relive the past because you can't. Only look forward to the future. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. So beautiful, so wise. I have a question. You, in your life, you have achieved so much. Uh, probably is enough for few lives of, uh, of other people. Uh, what drives you? And you, because you still keep going, what drives you through, through your life? That's a good way to wrap up. Yeah, there's there's two things. One is, well, three, actually. What I do is not work, so I don't consider it um, anything I need to retire from. When you have a turning point, you just refire, right? You just readjust. And secondly, my passion is as strong today as it was back in December of, of um, 2012 or 1992 when my son was in credit card debt. I'm still as passionate about it today. I'm working with governments to try and get financial literacy in the school systems and so I love what I do. And it goes all the way back to when I was a little girl. My dad would ask me each night, Sharon, have you added value to someone's life today? And that's something he's been gone 17 years. But I still ask myself that every night. And wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody focused on adding value to someone else's life each and every day? Thank you, Sharon. And if I can have one last question. You mentioned your husband, who, who you, you have been married for over 40 years. Do you have some secrets of long lasting marriage, happy marriage and uh, happy relationship? Absolutely. Like I said, we've met 43 years ago. September will be 43 years of marriage. Um, it was love at first sight. We still, but the secret to a long marriage is you need to respect your spouse even more than you love them. Because there will be times when the love is not there. It's hard to find. You're mad at them. or And that's when your respect steps in. So it's really important that you both love and admire and respect your spouse. 
And that's the secret sauce that's going to help you weather the storm. My husband and I um, lost our youngest son, and most marriages don't survive that. And we had enough respect for each other to understand that we had to mourn differently. And, um, and we have loved each other through the process. And it's in, in very important. And it's, uh, you gotta, you've got to have respect for the fact that you can't change your spouse. You can only change how you react to them. And you respect them through whatever hills and valleys you're going through. Thank you so much, uh, Sharon. Well, I wish you many, many, many more happy years in your marriage and in your, not not career, in your wonderful journey and uh, through which you impact so lives of so many people uh, around the world. So thank you so much for that and for your time and for this interview. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm absolutely delighted to be with you. And I invite everybody to reach out to me. I'm Sharon Lecter on Instagram, author Sharon Lecter, Facebook. My website is SharonLecter.com. So please reach out. My email is info at Sharon Lecter. Would love to hear from everybody. So thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.